Turn in your scriptures to Titus 3. And as we get ready to, we've got one more week in Titus, and then we'll be wrapped up. As we get ready this morning, we're talking about avoidance issues. Any, any of you guys have avoidance issues? How many of you are like, no conflict people? Like, you, you'll, you'll head for the hills before you, you deal with conflict. Ah, that's a little bit of what we're dealing with today. Um, how many of you have ever been on a freeway, or, or just say like 17, which if you're from down in LA, they would say the 17, but we're not there. So 17, you're on 17. How many of you have ever been stuck on 17 because of an accident or something? You know, going over to Santa Cruz. That's the worst. I think this footage may be from 17. And so we're going to show some footage here. You may be able to relate to it. You may not. But there was a slight distraction for these poor people. So please watch. Completely backed up and stopped. Isn't that frustrating? And for what? Why would they be stopped? It's a snail in the road. You should see your faces right now. You're like, that doesn't even compute. What what was that? What that's some that's some bozo that does this stuff just to get on YouTube. But have you ever been stuck on the freeway and, and you're wondering why are we not moving? And you get there and it is just the most ridiculous reason that everybody stopped and made you late. Made you late to where you needed to get to. And, and you know, some of you guys have, like Alan and Cindy have a great story of, was it Austin's birth or Devin's birth? Austin's birth. Trying to get from, from Brentwood over here into Walnut Creek and how, you know, you just don't go down, Ignacio, when you want to get somewhere fast, right? You need to avoid it. And Alan's got a great story about how he avoided things in certain ways. And some may have been legal, some may not have been legal. But this morning we're talking about avoidance issues. And I really want to have you hold in your mind what you just saw. Because it really is idiotic, right? What you saw was idiotic. And I want to leave you with that impression as we try to emphasize what's going on. And what is it cost? This morning we used a quick demonstration with Leiden that had he just stayed focused, he could have beat his record, couldn't he? And, and, and you know, I'm not going to take the money from him, but, you know, if I was, you know, firm about it, he, he didn't earn it. Because he got distracted by something that was worthless. How often does that happen in our lives? And that's what Paul's talking about here. As he's talking about strengthening churches... He's just gone from this sense of explaining what is so great and how living by the Spirit and the, and the regeneration of the Spirit and what it looks like to be a believer and live in that strength. He now comes back and gives some final instructions to Titus saying, you got to be careful because there's some things you need to what? Avoid. There's some things you need to avoid. So let's look at it this morning and, and, and look at the Scripture and then we'll start to break it down. He says this, But avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. 
And he is just, it's a prerogative that, that, that Paul's using here. It could be he or she, or it can even just be a philosophy that people are following or looking at. So this morning, you know, you get that image in your mind of, of something that's just pointless, that was worthless, that cost people time because somebody's doing something really nonsensical or for their own um, uh, pride or their own perspective. And so this morning, do you want to be stuck in traffic? I encourage you to do exactly what happens much of the time when you come upon some kind of an emergency or traffic jam. You often hear an official say, move on, there's nothing to see here. That's what I want you to hold on to this morning. If you're going to encapsulate the message this morning into one phrase, if you operate that way, take that phrase, move along, just move along. There's nothing to see here. And and let's break that down and give some feet to it. Um, First service, they weren't real sharp this morning. I don't know if it was the, you know, too much sleep, you know, whatever's going on. But does anybody understand that picture? What's that mean? No. Catch 22. Who said that? Nicely done. I'm sorry, I'm out of money. Otherwise, I'd, I'd give you a prize. Catch 22. Have you ever been in a Catch 22? Folks, we live in a society that has a trapping. And it's come into the church. And, and this is kind of what Paul's talking about here. And we have a Catch 22. We know this statement. Who are you to judge me or anyone? Right? We hear this all the time. You may have said it yourself. Who are you to judge me or, or anyone? Okay, I, I get that. But the reality of life is we often do that, right? How many of you have ever wanted to make sure your kids didn't play with certain kids? Right? Or how many of you don't want your husbands playing with other guys? You know, or going out Friday night or, you know, the wives, you can't shop with that person or whatever. How many of us, you know, when we, when we think about, let's say, schooling, you know, we would take our kids out of a certain school district because of something that's being taught or we would remove ourselves from a certain church because of something, that, you know, just different things. The reality of life is, is that we do judge because it's important, but we have to give a voice. You see, we live in a society that says everybody has an equal voice. Everybody, no, what, what the Constitution says is that everybody is allowed to speak. doesn't mean that everything that's being spoken is of great value. And the challenge for you and I, and what Paul is saying to Titus, is that the challenge for him is that when these foolish controversies come, you got to avoid, you got to move along. Because there's some danger that can happen. And here's the consequence to this first statement. If you live and breathe and die by the first statement, who are you to judge anyone? Well, then we're not going to judge anybody, right? Well, if you don't judge anybody or anything, then you're going to give yourself over to anything or anybody. And then that provokes this comment. I can't believe you were that foolish. You clearly lack what? Good judgment. We're a society that wants to speak out of both sides of our mouth. Why? Because, as my good Israeli friends would say, we don't have the chutzpah to call something out that's damaging. But Paul did. Paul did. And Paul reminds Titus, You have to protect your flock. You have to protect your people. As you're strengthening these churches, 
one of the things you've got to do is watch for people that are doing the following. Here we go. You ready? Avoidance issues. Number one, avoid reckless influences. We're in verse 9. Go ahead and, and grab that up. Look at it. You can reference it. But in your sermon notes, you're going to be able to write these things out. Ready? Number one, he says foolish controversies. And I titled this Blood Moons and Barack the Antichrist. Now, I know you're all are, you're like, you're getting your dander up, and some of you are like getting really excited. Uh, I know we're heading into political season, Tuesday's voting time. And let me just tell you right now that this is where the Christian church really gets themselves into trouble. Is that we get so sidetracked with foolish controversies. And we become about what Christ never intended us to become about. That we become fools in the eyes of the world. We become fools in the eyes of the Lord. How many of you knew that we just had another blood moon? Okay? Just had another blood moon. Can I just tell you that Ebola came out before that blood moon? Alright? Nothing happened as a result of this blood moon. You know how many books have been written recently about blood moons? By the way, that, that whole thing, that's exactly what was happening here that Paul was warning him. Remember, you go back up to uh, uh, prior verses in 2, and he says this, that there are those who are coming into households and using their teachings for sordid what? For sordid gain. So let's write something new and, and exciting and salacious that the Christian community, they're always looking for something new, and so we're going to put something out there for them to buy, and I'm going to make a lot of money off of it. Paul says, avoid foolish controversies. I don't know about you, but my salvation is not affected by some blood moon. And I, I just want to encourage you, if you've got a bunch of books on your shelf about, you know, Barack is the Antichrist, George Bush is the Antichrist, would you stop? There is so much around us that is the spirit of the Antichrist, I don't even nail, need to nail down a person. Concern yourself about not being of the spirit of the Antichrist and being about Christ rather than worrying about who is and who isn't. And, and if you wonder how foolish you might look with, with getting caught into these controversies, just ask a nice gentleman named Harold Camping how it's worked out for him. And if you don't know who I'm talking about, look it up. This has been an embarrassment for the church. And Paul says, avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. Foolish controversies. Genealogies. Well, what's that got to do with anything? Genealogies? There's genealogies in the Bible. You can find them all over Leviticus, somewhere in Chronicles. You can even find one at the beginning of Luke. He's not talking about those genealogies. This is connected to Colossians 2.8, and you can turn there in your Scriptures if you want. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. But as, as I do so, I want you to understand this is getting into a little bit of what was specific, specific, to those churches at that time, okay? So the, the, you'll be able to connect it, though. Verse 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. So during this time, part of what, what the church would go through and the church would experience, and you can read it from Ephesians, you can read it here in Titus, you can hear read it here in Colossians, is that you had a shift. You had a power structure change. And the power structure change happened because of Christ. You see, what used to exist for you and I to be able to worship and to be 
on any kind of road of righteousness was some codification of you got to jump through these hoops. And by doing that, it gave certain people power. It gave the Levitical priests, it gave the Pharisees, it gave the Sadducees power over the people. And so they were the ones that got rich off the whole deal. Now Christ comes, the cross happens, and now there's not the temple that you can exact people from. Now the temple's here. Scripture says that the temple is with you and that I now reside in you through the Holy Spirit. So the challenge is this. Grace issues in. The church starts. Salvation is to the... Who first? The Jew first, then to the Greek. Because the Jew had that relationship prior with God, with Jehovah. Now Christ has come. Now the whole thing blows up. Now we used to hang on to these genealogies because they had this impact on us now what happens is that grace comes in and we start preaching the cross we start preaching christ crucified we start preaching freedom from the law not that the law is bad but the law was this codification to help us pursue righteousness now we no longer need that to pursue righteousness there's still some benefit in knowing the law but we pursue righteousness because of a relationship with jesus christ through the Holy Spirit. Power structure problem. Now I no longer have power over you. Now my challenge is simply this, is that that power comes to each person on an individual level and now we're supposed to commune together. We're supposed to be a royal priesthood together. So I'm not going to gain anything from this. Ah! Unless I could bring in some new teaching that would sound exciting to everybody. And so literally what, what's being talked about here in, in this instruction to the church at Colossae was genealogies that were extracted out of things like, and you may know this word, Madonna made it famous, the Kabbalah. Okay, There are mysterious writings that are extant away from the Talmud, away from the Torah. There was the Mishnah. Uh, uh, the Kabbalah. And, and in some of these writings, there are these other teachings that nobody's heard about. These are not biblical teachings. I mean, they, they might be harmless or they might have harm. But the point is that they're not centered on what we're supposed to be focused on. And if they get lost, and all of a sudden I can pull them up and I can sound like I've got some new idea... Now I've got the attention of the people. Guess what? I'm going to meet here Friday night. If you show up, you pay your ticket, you walk through the door, I'll share that new meaning with you. It's about genealogies and it's about angels and how it affects you. Hmm, wow, suddenly I'm interested. You see how that, that worked? But Paul warns, don't be taken captive by it. You are meant for freedom. And folks, we, we do some of the same things today. Is that we get so enamored with some new thing that some author brought or some author wrote that it becomes problematic uh i was just recently with somebody that that i have a deep appreciation with a a pastor and he had this book and he led some prayer at a meeting that i was at and it was based out of this book and the whole premise of the book was based out of how many remember the prayer of jabez you guys remember that stuff that came through a while ago? This is just a recycle of the... By the way, most of this stuff that's written that's got some new idea is just a recycle of the same old stuff. And you know why they recycle it? Because they've got to give you about 10 years for people to forget about it, and then they can 
get more book sales again. Which again is reflective, once again, of this exact thing that Paul's warning Titus about. These guys that want to come in and bring something other than the value of the message of the cross, peddle it to you and make money off of it. Avoid this. Avoid it. And so this pastor was sharing about some, some story out of uh, uh, the Midrash, actually. And uh, it's a commentary on the Talmud. And, and a story about an individual who, who drew a circle and it hadn't rained for a long time, drew a circle with a stick and stood in and just prayed and said, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to pray until it rains. And it started raining. And that's probably history. It probably really happened. Um, folks, I don't need to read a book about a guy who drew a circle. I go to John 15 where it says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Ask according to my father. I, I don't need to read a, a, a new thing and then a new thing and then a new thing. We need to stay focused on the basics because the basics are enough. Amen. The basics are enough. And so he says, avoid this stuff because it's going to cause you problems. And you're going to be like that second statement, right? What were you thinking? You obviously lack judgment. You obviously lack judgment. Genealogies is one thing. Dissension, strife, conflict. We, we don't have to worry about that in the church, right? No strife. Do you know that <laughs> I had to take two, two classes in seminary just on conflict management? within church that nine months after i got here we encouraged the church to read a book called who stole my church um, based off of how do you deal with church conflict and change that's happening in a church and how does tradition factor into that paul's saying titus make sure you people don't get wrapped up in that avoid it because it's destructive it's destructive quarrels about the law fighting over traditions this morning i heard by the way what is he saying specifically again Salvation came to people. The church grows. Power structure lost. Not even power structure, but just preference. See if you can check us on this one. Do we relate to this as a church? What if we had smoke machines and, and lights going, you know, and, and, and we built a new stage. Actually, we were building a new stage this week. Um, and, and you're going to see new carpet in here in a month, and we're really excited about that because we need it. You guys see that stuff? That's no good. That's number seven list on, on visitors. When they see stuff like that, they're like, that's how you treat that, that's how you treat your spiritual life. I don't believe that, but that's what they're, they're saying. So it's time for new carpet. It's time for a stage that kind of hides the wires and stuff like that. Anyway, moving on. But if we had like a bunch of lights and this and that, and we, you know, we, we painted everything black, and, and we had like great graphics and you know, all this stuff, and, and we're doing all this, and we never preached Christ... But it's the newest and hottest thing and we're packing this place out. I think it's an anathema to what Christ would desire. Now if we have all that because it connects for people and we're preaching Christ, great. Fantastic. Fantastic. You see, I don't really care about all that stuff. But there are people that do. Because it's not their tradition. Does that make sense? Heard a guy on, on the radio coming in this morning that got me pretty fired up. And uh, he was preaching about the holiness of God. And he fits right here, right here, fighting over traditions. And you all know that I wore a suit and a tie, what, two weeks ago up here? Nearly died from it, but I did it. 
And uh, because I want to make a message, and I want to make a statement. If, if, if you want to be able to do that, you do it. I don't care if you're a guy, a girl, a, a teenager, um, whatever. You, just wear clothes. That, that's what we require. But this gentleman was talking about the holiness of God and that, that we've lost a little bit of that in our churches and that really your holiness is kind of hooked to or connected to how you dress on a Sunday morning. Turned it up a little bit. And then he really took it over Niagara. And he said, you see, and, and this was his scriptural basis, you see, because back when there was the temple... They would address appropriately in honor of the holiness of God. And that translated to their personal holiness. Folks, let me break that down real quick. It's pretty simple. Number one, we're not in the temple point anymore. 1 Corinthians 6 talks about the fact that this is my temple. This is the temple of God right here. So your temple, you never get out of your temple. So, you know, unless you're going to wear that suit and tie or dress holy, and I don't know what that really means, unless you're going to wear it all the time, you're in violation at some point. Secondly, (laughs) so the, the, the temple thing is out. Secondly, he was feeding a whole argument that Jesus destroyed where he talked to the Pharisees about them being whitewashed sepulchers. Our holiness is never connected to our outside appearance. Now, our our outside appearance should magnify and radiate the love of Christ. That's the holiness. And listen to me clearly. You want to dress up in a suit and tie, and that's part of your worship. God bless you. I'm behind you 100% of the time, and that's why I wore one three weeks ago. But I got an amen from a visitor first hour that wore shorts in the door and was locked into the message the entire time, paying attention. And I think his heart was seeking God this morning rather than being connected with what they wear. Traditions will kill a church and the freshness of the worship applied. Some traditions, folks, we're going to do Advent again this year during Christmas. Don't tell for service. I didn't, you guys get the new stuff, okay? We're going to do Advent again. That's a tradition. That's okay. We took it out last year to see if anybody would miss it. Nobody missed it, so we're bringing it back, so you'll miss it. There's nothing wrong with some traditions, but when they become part and parcel of our salvation, come on. Paul says avoid this because it's damaging. Avoid it. Unprofitable and worthless is what he calls it. And this is in direct contrast to verse 8. If you go back up to verse 8 where we finished last week, he talks about being, being excellent and being profitable. If you follow those things, it is excellent and profitable. Now he gives these things that he's saying avoid. And how does he surmise it? He says, this is what? Unprofitable and worthless. Second point today. Avoid reckless influencers. This is where it's going to get a little tight. It's going to get a little difficult or, or, or a little challenging for us this morning. We have to avoid those influencers. And so what's he mean? Well, let's start number one with me, with myself and the elders, the church leaders. He says this, and he's saying it to Titus. You've got to be effective in protecting the flock. You've got to be protective over your flock. And there are those that will come in and will try to speak other things that will get us off of, off of Christ and focused on the wrong thing. And so you've got to avoid those influencers. 
Remember? Move on. Move along. Don't give it any energy. And, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Secondly, you've got to warn him once. Now here's a fascinating thing. Is that the way that Paul is speaking here to Titus, he speaks as if this person or people, whoever they are, that are espousing other things outside of the message of the Gospel, the message of the cross... He doesn't say that they're unbelievers. He says they're teaching something false. Somebody called me and asked if if I would come visit them yesterday. I came and visited them. And they said something that was just, it was incorrect in the moment. But they were ignorant. They were young in their faith. And they were feeling guilty about that. Like they'd committed the unpardonable sin. We had to clarify that, folks, we make mistakes. And I'll show you right out of Scripture how to handle that. Peter says, when Christ says, I'm going up and the Son of Man must be crucified. And on the third day, what does Peter say to him? No! I won't let it happen! And what does Christ respond back with? Get thee what? Wow, ouch. Wow, Jesus. Wow, that's a little hard. Whew. Thought we were friends. Thought you were loving Jesus. My Jesus wouldn't say that. Jesus, when something outside of what is constructive and what is the will of the Father, which is all life-giving and good for us, when something comes in and tries to compete with that, there's danger. There's danger. And so Paul's saying, and, and so you can have a false teacher who's a believer. Let me just say that. You can have somebody who's misconstrued or they got onto something, got misdirected, or, or they just weren't wise in what they were doing or they weren't really seeking the Lord. And it seems like that's what Paul's saying because he says, warn him once. This is part of your church community here in, in, in Crete. So somebody came along with some, some old traditions or genealogies or whatever it is, and he's saying, warn him. Warn him. Don't give up on him. Don't throw him out. Just warn him. Come alongside him as your pastor, as his pastor, as her pastor, and warn them about the folly of what they're saying. What's the next thing he says? <laughs> well, if he doesn't change, if they don't correct anything, you've got to warn him again. Did Paul say give up on him? Paul didn't say that. He says warn him again. Go say, what, what does this sound strangely familiar like? Jesus out of Matthew 18, right? That if there's something between you and your brother, you need to go to them. If there's a sin that's there, if they've offended you or they've wronged you, you've got to go to them. And you got to sit down and then if they won't listen to you, you got to take somebody with you that can help maybe arbitrate. And then after that, if they don't do it, then you got to go to the church and you got to say, look, this person refuses to stop pursuing a sinful and hurtful attitude or teaching or whatever it would be. It's exactly what Paul's talking here. And so what's the next part? He says, avoid him. He says, avoid him. He didn't say, stone him. He doesn't say, throw him out. He doesn't say, don't ever talk to him again. He's saying, just avoid him. And, and how does that translate for you and I? Basically, how I, how I wrote it out there. Just stop giving whatever it is time and energy. Stop investing in the person. That doesn't mean that you have to be cold. It doesn't mean that you have to be hurtful. It doesn't mean that the church leadership has to be uh, rejective of the person. It means... This is how it's going to go. You want to bring that Daniel diet stuff in here? It's not going to happen. We're not going to to go down that path. Guys, have you heard of the Daniel diet? 
that's out there? That's one of the things that's in our world, okay, that's out there, the Daniel diet. And, and I'll stand before you and say, I, I really haven't studied it that much, but since I love donuts, we're not doing the Daniel diet. <laughs> it's not happening. It's not godly, okay? <laughs> so I would say we're not going to do it. And, and then all of a sudden I find out that one of our life groups that this person's at is decided to study the Daniel diet. Well, I thought I said we weren't going to, we're not going to give energy to that. So now we sit down, we talk with the leadership of that life group, and we say, guys, you've got to avoid this. Don't get involved. Did I just tell the person they couldn't come to life group? Did I tell them they couldn't come to church? No. We're just not going to give this. That's exactly what Paul's saying. Don't give it energy and stop giving it any footing. Why? Because a little leaven leavens the whole dough. You guys ever bake? Oh, I bake all the time. All the time. I have people do it for me. It's King's Donuts. They do a great job. They bake for me all the time. A little goes a long way. The point is this. You just add a little yeast, right? And the whole thing is affected. The entire thing is affected. And Paul uses this illustration in Galatians 5, 7 through 15. That if you're going to allow what is not right, what is not focused on Christ, what has got an entrapment rather than the freedom of Christ, if you're going to allow that, there are going to be consequences and there's going to be destruction within the body. Titus, you got to address it. And sometimes addressing that is warning once, warning twice. But then eventually if the person doesn't, then just avoid. Avoid the whole thing. And then you got to instruct your people, we're avoiding it. It's not what we're going to get invested in. And part of the challenge, and you're going to hear it here, and let's go through Galatians. Galatians 5, 7 through 15. He says this, he says it to the Galatians who got sucked into another Jewish tradition. Somebody was false teaching almost the same stuff to, this, to a different group of people. And he says this, you were running well. You were doing great. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who was it? Paul's saying you've got to figure it out. You've got to go to the source. Don't just, don't just be ignorant about the situation. Be specific. We live in a political era <laughs> that says, well, okay, who said that? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. We can't really track that down. We don't really know who, who actually said what. No, we need to know who said what because there has to be accountability. Because we've got to stop this stuff because it's damaging. He says this, who hindered you from obeying the what? The truth. Folks, it's the truth that gives us life. It's a deviation from the truth that steals life away from us. This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. Whatever it was that was being preached here or trying to be falsely preached. He says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. What's he talking about? One of the best ways I can explain this is I had a a close friend, ministry partner down in, in SoCal when I was a youth pastor. And when he preached on this message, really prevalent for youth, right? Really, really works with what youth have to deal with. And all the outside influences coming and trying to distract them and get them off the focus of the cross and, and, and grace and faith. And so he would bake some brownies. Actually, he probably had somebody else baking because he can't bake. But he would bring some brownies for the message. And then he'd pass out all the brownies. And everybody, you know, Tina, come on, give me some Give me a break. They're going to like wolf these things. And they all, you know, mack them down. And he would be in the middle of saying this, and then he would just pause and say, Oh, uh, by the way, uh, I went in the backyard and picked up some droppings from Rodney, my dog. 
Not a lot, just like one little dropping. And I ground that up and, and, and put it into the brownie mix. But it's really small. You, won't, you probably didn't get any, really. Chances are it's so small you didn't, even, you didn't even notice. You've never seen so many green faces so fast. And how amazing that they suddenly became invested in just a small little thing having such a damaging effect on you. But we don't hold that same tenor when it comes to the truth and how valuable the truth is. And if we let one little thing in, is what Paul's saying, it can destroy everything. It can destroy everything. So he finishes by saying this, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that, ca- in, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And then this is how brutal he gets on this. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And really, in other words, he's saying, you know, they want to bring in this tradition of circumcision and some other things that, that the church no longer needs to follow, but that's how the Jews used to do it. And he says, rather than just practice circumcision, I want them to go all the way and just make themselves eunuchs. Okay? <laughs> wow. That's hardcore. That's how Paul felt about this. Because how it was so damaging. And he's saying, you have to move on. You've got to move on from those things that are going to destroy your understanding of the freedom in Christ. And so much so that when these guys bring this stuff, if they're really convinced about it, let them go all the way. They won't. (laughs) Because it's not about that. It's about control. It's about their power. It's about their message. And so he says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What did Paul do here? He took it back to the basics, didn't he? You see, we're supposed to avoid those things that distract us away from what Christ has for us. Brothers, sisters, if we were getting this down really, really well, then fine, let's move to a level 200 class. Maybe let's move to a level 300 class. But the church doesn't really want to do that. They don't want to perfect this, just, this real basic concept. They want to just gather some new and mysterious teaching because that's exciting, right? That's fun to think about. That's how we're wired. Paul says, get back to the basics. In there you will find life. In there you will find freedom. In there you will serve your God. In there you will be able to rejoice in watching God do a work through you. Because these other things are empty. They're meaningless. Avoid them. Move on. So what do we do with this? What should we do with this this week? Well, let me challenge you this morning. Here's some application for you. Ready? As we close up, avoid destructive (coughs) opinions and people. That's it. That's what he's saying. I don't really have any mysterious new revelation for you. It's just exactly what Paul says. Avoid people and avoid philosophies that are destructive, that are not biblical. Don't spend time on it. You don't need some new thing to invigorate you. Follow the basics and the foundations of the faith and then let the Holy Spirit use that and go way beyond what you could do. That's what we talked about last week. That's exciting. That's exciting. There's power in that. You don't need to know any genealogies. 
and things on that level. You don't need that Daniel diet. I'm, I'm gonna, somebody's going to knock on my door this week. I know it. Some of you are probably doing the Daniel diet. I'm sorry if I offended you about the Daniel diet. Let me ask you this question. Avoid destructive op- opinions and people. Stop being an enabler to destruction. So most of this instruction was for Titus. Did you catch that? He's a leader. He's the pastor of these churches. So this is how you protect your flock, Titus. That's where we were at the beginning of the message. But folks, I believe that a lot of what we see here comes down to our own personal lives as well. Why not take those same basic principles and you apply them in your life? So are you an enabler to destructive things for, say, your children? How? How would I be doing that? I don't know. Let's just take what that pastor was sharing earlier that I heard on the radio. Where he says, your holiness is really acceptable before God based off of how you dress. And so you say to your children, you better dress up nicely before you go to church. Because that's what pleases God. I lived in that. Now, it is your whole prerogative as a parent just to simply tell your kids to dress nicely to go to church. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you take what this individual said over the radio and said, that will make you more acceptable to God if you dress that way. Now what have you done? You've enabled your child towards destruction. Because now for them, faith is all about do's and don'ts, isn't it? And they're going to get real tired of that. Rather than understanding this relationship that we have with Christ. And then, if in my own desire of worship towards Him, I want to dress real nice when I go to church, praise God. Praise God. Do it. If I want to shave my head, because I read a story about Hudson Taylor doing that to be more effective as he preached, then shave your head. Or if you just look better because you shave your head, shave your head. I don't care. But the issue is, are you enabling your children based off of empty philosophies that you've, you've garnered or you've been taught that have nothing to do with who Christ is and the power of the gospel? Be careful. I have to be careful in putting that kind of pressure on my children. What about your spouse? What about your family? <clears throat> what about yourself? Your ideologies. By the way, this is application for you. You take this home. You fill in this stuff. You examine your own heart, your own mind, and say, you know, when it comes to all these different things, where am I? And what do I believe? And what are my convictions? And are those things what Christ would have me believe? Or are those things that I was taught by somebody down the line, and I just hold to it because that's a tradition? What about your political affiliations? Uh Uh-oh. Wow, we'll be here another hour now. Right? Tuesday's voting day. Did you know Jesus smiles on you much more if you're a Democrat? Did you know that? Some of you are going to shoot me now. Jesus doesn't care if you're a Democrat, Republican, or a Libertarian. I don't care what, an Independent. Folks, you're not any of those things. According to the Word of God, you are a child of God. You live in a theocracy. You just happen to work in a democracy. So how you vote, can I just encourage you? Practice this. Examine, how are you going to vote on Tuesday? 
Does it have anything to do with Jesus Christ and His biblical principles? Or does it have to do with a party affiliation? Okay? That's how this whole thing works. If it's a party affiliation, move on! Right? Avoid it. How about your media choices? I shared with you, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, how I made a really bad media choice a couple weeks ago and found myself in a movie that I did not investigate before I went. And I was just lazy about it. And I, it was, it was a, a, what I call it, a seven-close-your-eyes film because it was so bad. And I felt horrible, and I had to confess to the Lord, I need to be better at my choices with this God. But am I enabling my children... Am I enabling myself to see things that could be destructive and have influences on me that would change? They have nothing to do with the gospel or have nothing to do with godly things. So therefore, it's not profitable. It's not excellent. But I've allowed it to slip into my brownies. Right? Move on. There's nothing to see here. Move on. That was Paul's message to Titus. Do not allow destructive messages to get any footing or any rooting in your congregations. Avoid them. Let me close in prayer and you'll be dismissed today. Lord God, this morning, let us examine our lives and contemplate with the guidance of your Spirit if there's some things we need to avoid. Have we allowed things to come in and, and, and be prevalent, be guiding as a source that really is contrary to who you are and, and the freedom of the gospel? And by doing so, by those choices, we've given energy and we've given opportunity to something other than the truth. Let us look and examine and see the value of getting back to the basics and just living in that sweet spot. Thank you, Lord God. Walk with us this week. Encourage us, lift us up, guide us to your glory.